Well, good morning. How's everyone doing today? Good. Can you believe it's one week till Christmas? Who's still living in denial a little bit? I see some people like looking at each other like um, I just finally got my last Christmas presents delivered yesterday and I was like, yes. I'm not, not going to be late to the game. Um, some nephews that I have, need they expect it to be there when, I, when they want it to be there. And so that's good. And, and we got our snow. So we have now a, a white Christmas. So that's exciting and fun. And that doesn't always happen. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to look forward to for this Christmas season. But there's a lot of things that people are struggling with as well during this season. There's undertones of struggle. So some of us might sit here today and and feel like they want to experience the joy and they want to celebrate and enter into um, all of the joy that this season can can bring us. But maybe something's going on in your life and, and it's preventing it from happening. Or, you know, that could be a big thing, a small thing. It's just nagging at you and it's preventing you from entering into that celebration mindset. And maybe you're hoping for something that hasn't happened yet, and it's been a while. Maybe you're uh, experiencing turmoil in a relationship, or you sense that your life doesn't look like you thought it would at this point. Or maybe you're just so busy in this season and in life in general that it doesn't feel like you have time to pause and even enjoy moments. So whether you fall into the camp of, of the struggle or you fall into the camp of, of the joy and the anticipation in the season, God has something for each of us, I believe, in, in the story that we're going to look at today. We're looking at Mary's story. Hyacinth read it this morning. And so I'm going to jump in, but I'm just going to do some review. I'm not going to really like read through the whole thing. Um, so we come upon Mary, and she's living in a town called Nazareth. And Nazareth was a place where people looked down on it. Like, it, it, the Jewish people were like, that's not a good place to live. It's, it's, sorry if you're from there. Um, John 1.46, we read one of Jesus' own future disciples says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> like, what? The, the Messiah comes out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of there? It's like the undesirable place to live. And that's where Mary was living. And we read that she was engaged to a man named Joseph. And other scriptural accounts tell us that he was a carpenter. And so um, Mary's life is probably going along pretty well, as well as she could expect it to be. You know, she wasn't, she wasn't rich or, or anything. She was working class, just like her husband. But she was engaged. And at the t- that point in her life, that was right for her. Um, I imagine that she had dreams and plans for once she was married to Joseph, like what life would look like and, and what they would do and the kids they would have. And I imagine that she was just living her life the way she was taught to and just, you know, cruising right along. And in the, in the story where we pick it up, I also imagine that she's, you know, just kind of doing something mundane. She's doing laundry or she's cooking a meal. And then an angel comes to her. And that ordinary moment that she's experiencing is interrupted. And, it, and her life is altered forever. Because God was about to ask something impossible of her. And so the angel tells her she's going to have a baby while she's still a virgin. And we read earlier that the angel tells her um, that she's going to conceive and give birth to a son. And it's God by his spirit is going to make this possible. And that this boy would be the son of God. 
And Mary's like, I just have one question. How can this be? You know, I haven't been with a man. How am I supposed to have a baby when the physical things that are supposed to happen in order for that to be possible have not taken place? But when all is explained to her, we read her words in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May your word, be, word to me be fulfilled. So Mary basically says, she gets to the point where she can say to God truly and honestly, I'll do what you ask of me. And maybe there's a sense, as she says that, like an, a sense of like, even though. Like, even though, I'll do what you ask of me, even though it seems like culturally and legally and even religiously, this is foolishness. Even though it's physically impossible, I can't make this happen. Even though it's, it's actually dangerous for me because in that time, in that day and age, according to their law, once Mary was found to be pregnant, they would suspect adultery. And so it could go very bad for her. Joseph could divorce her, and then she would be disgraced, and no one else would want her, and that threatened her very existence. And then she could even be stoned to death because of the suspected adultery, so that's not a good scene. And yet God still asked her to do this thing. And Mary submitted to his authority in her life, and she trusted him. And so as we go through this story today, from time to time, I want to pause and I want us to meditate on what's happening and to look at our own lives and what God is saying to us. And so this is my first question to you. Have you ever felt like God is asking you to go through something that you feel impossible? Has that, has that ever happened to you? Maybe you're going through something now. Maybe you've gone through something in the past. You know, life is just moving nicely along. You're working your five-year, your 10-year, your 20-year plan, and it's going great. Everything's good, and then all of a sudden, boom. Something happens, or something you thought was going to happen doesn't happen, and life starts to look a lot different than, it, than you thought it would. That certain ha- certainly happened to all of us on a global scale with the recent pandemic we've walked through. But I believe that there are things that are happening in many of our lives where we're kind of going, God, what's going on? Where we're echoing Mary's words in verse 34, how can this be? Or another way of saying it, God, I don't think that I can do this. This is not within my ability. Or don't ask this of me. Ask me anything else, anything but that. It's not easy to submit our lives to God when he asks us to do hard things. We like to have control over our lives, you know? I like to have control. I'm a planner, and I always have been. And I've learned to hold my plans with an open hand because God usually doesn't really line up his plans with my plans. And the good thing is that I've been learning that his plans are usually better than mine, so that's okay. But I've also learned that it's a hard thing to do, that God can sometimes change my plans, and he's done that over and over in my life. And some of them were big, and some of them were small. So, for example, when I was in grade nine, I realized that being horribly terrible in science and in math meant that my dream of becoming a tiger trainer was never going to be realized. Just couldn't, couldn't do zoology if you don't know science and math, and I could not do it. And then soon after that, God unexpectedly called me into youth ministry, and I was like, what? But, you know, I've done that for 20 years. So, 
And then I just, I, I got unjustly fired from a job in a parking lot. Not this job. I got, this was many years ago. I got unjustly fired in a parking lot after spending 10 years devoting my entire life making sacrifices for this company. They pulled up to my car, said, we're letting you go, and then drove away and left me standing there like, what? And at one point in my, my life, I had told myself and many of my friends and even God that I would never go to Japan. And as many of you know, I ended up there for a year. And then when I went to Japan and I got through the culture shock and I realized that this is actually a really cool place to be. And I fell in love with, with the Japanese people. And I told God that I would stay there forever. God was like, okay, we're going back to Canada. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I always thought like, that forever I would do ministry in Quebec. From high school, I would graduate and I would just start doing ministry. And God had me live in Vancouver for 10 years. He's, he's done a lot of things in my life that have made me go, what are you doing? How can this be? Some of them are harder than others. My, my life hasn't always looked the way I thought it was. And God has asked me to do things that were unexpected and seemed impossible. And perhaps the most significant thing in my life right now that has not turned out the way that I thought it would is that I'm in my 40s and I'm single. And I was debating this week whether I was going to um, talk to you about this because it takes a lot of vulnerability. And uh, I did not think I would be as emotional as I'm feeling right now about this. So bear with me. Um, I always thought that I'd be married in my 20s. And I have always wanted to be married. And it's a path that is pretty commonly expected in our culture and especially in the church. There's an almost an attitude that if you're not married, there's probably something wrong with you. And so when people say well-meaning things like, Where are you, when are you planning to finally get married? Or, you know too many hot single Christian guys to be single. They hurt more than they help. And every new year, I think to myself, well, maybe this is the year. But it wasn't. And as I got older, more of my friends got married, and then um, I found myself attending weddings of people who were far younger than me, trying to be happy for them while also just struggling internally with my unfulfilled desires. And full disclosure, after one wedding, I had to, I was leaving, it was dark, I was in the country, I didn't know really where I was, and I pulled over on the side of the road and I wept, because I wanted that. And it was not apparent that I was going to get it. And I was overcome by loneliness. And I stand here today, and I don't know if God has a husband for me in mind, but I hope he does. I just don't know. And I'm not saying that to attract pity. I'm not, I'm not saying that to be like, anyone want to set me up? Because guys, time's, time's a-wasting. That's not why I'm saying these things. I'm saying this because this is the part of my life that makes me most identify with Mary's story in the passage that we're looking in. It's the area where I'm most tempted to say to God, how can this be? Like anything but that, God. So what, what is it in your life that you can identify with Mary and I in this? What is it in your life that looks far different from what you thought it would?
what are you struggling with deeply and wondering, God, what are you doing? What is God asking you to walk through? He's not taking it away. He's, he's asking you to walk through this thing that you don't want to walk through. And you're saying to him, anything but that, God. How do we get from Mary's question, how can this be, to Mary's statement of submission, I am your servant. May your word be fulfilled like Mary did. How do we get to the heart posture of letting God rule in our lives and trusting him when he asks the impossible of us? I'm going to go through some things in in Luke 1. And this is not going to answer everything. I'm not going to be like, and surprise, I found a husband at the end. That's a spoiler alert. It's not going to happen. We don't get all the answers. But here's the first thing that I see in this passage. When God asks the impossible, he speaks identity and promises over us. So verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I don't want us to miss this. Gabriel is God's messenger. He doesn't go straight to the ask. He doesn't say, surprise, here I am. You're going to have a baby. Bye. Um, He starts with how God sees Mary. She's not rich. She's not remarkable. She's a humble, obscure teenager living in a town where no one wanted to live. And it didn't seem like she had much going for her. And yet in God's eyes, she's highly favored. And in verse 29, we see Mary is greatly troubled at his words and wondering what kind of greeting this might be. She's probably used to people saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? She was probably resigned to her life of obscurity. Or maybe she was doubting that she could, be possibly, she could possibly be so highly regarded and favored in God's eyes. It's not something she was used to hearing, and so the angel repeats it in verse 30. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. I really love this. First comes the encouragement in the form of identity, and then comes the ask. God's messenger speaks identity to her. You are highly favored. And so let's pause again here. What identity has God spoken to you? If we've been adopted into God's family through salvation, we have an identity in him. We're sons and daughters of the king. We're forgiven. We're declared righteous. We're co-heirs to the kingdom along with Jesus. We're loved beyond measure. And that is just a small portion of the identity that God has pronounced over us in Christ. So what has he told you about who you are? And if you don't know, start with this short list that I've just mentioned. But also I'd encourage you to start searching the scriptures and asking God to reveal that identity to you. Because he will. And the angel also speaks a promise here. He says, the Lord is with you. As the angel continues to speak and describe this baby that Mary's going to have, in verse 31 we read, He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So it's like God saying to her, Mary, this thing that I'm asking you to do is really hard, but here are a bunch of promises within it that I'm going to give to you. Your baby boy is going to be all of these things. There are all these promises that I'm making about him. And so it might seem terrified. And it might be a lot of uncertainty and a lot to deal with as a human being, but there are promises to hold on to. 
And it's obviously going to be difficult, but these are the amazing things that I'm going to do through this child. So let's pause again and think about it. What promises has God spoken to you? You know, there are are 3,000 promises in the Bible. That's a lot of promises. If you're not sure, maybe a place to start is the Lord is with you. Because that's literally the promise that we're celebrating in this Advent season. That the Messiah, the promised Savior is coming. And his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Lord is with you. And it's amazing to me that the promise that God gives Mary at the beginning of this difficult journey that she's about to go on is the promise that he gives us as well. And so no matter what we're going through, God will be with us. You know, I might not have a husband to do life with, and that can get lonely, but God is always with me, and I never have to doubt that. And this promise to Mary was also God keeping another promise that he'd made to the nation of Israel and to the whole world, that God had promised that a Messiah, a Savior, would come, and this is what he was doing. He's meeting that promise, and this time he's keeping that promise. He's been promising it for literally thousands of years through scripture, through history, and he was silent for 400 years in that time. And all of a sudden, he's here promising Mary that it's finally happening. 400 years is a lot of time to wait on a promise. I'm sure a lot of people forgot about it or started to doubt, but God didn't forget. He did it. He kept his promise, and he always keeps his promises. And if we're doubting that today... All we have to do is remember the very fact that Jesus came and what he did for us on the cross. 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us that no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They are yes in Christ. Here's what John Piper says about that verse. Every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all his needs finds God coming to him in Christ with all his promises. When a sinful person meets the holy God in Christ, that what he hears is yes. And when I personally struggle to believe in God's promises, I quote these words that were penned by J.D. Greer, as I pray, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. It reminds me that God loved me enough to send Jesus to die in my place, that he was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, and that if that's true, then he, lo- and then he loves me enough, and he's powerful enough to keep the promises that he's given me. Everything about God's protection and his presence and his working for our good and his et- eternal rest that he promises and fulfillment is yes because of Jesus. So look for the identity and the promises that God's given you when he asks the impossible. Secondly, when he asks the impossible, he shows us his power through what he's doing. In Mary's story, God's telling her that she's going to have a baby against impossible odds, but something else is going on as well. In verse 36, the angel says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. And we know that story. Elizabeth appears earlier in the chapter, and she's described as being very old and childless. Not a good combination when you want to have a baby. And so God chose to open her womb at her old age, 
and, and for her to have a child as well. And he lets Mary know about it. He's like, look at what else I'm doing. Because this was another basically impossible situation where God worked and made it happen. And it wasn't humanly possible for Elizabeth, but it was possible for God. And so that's not all the angel says. He says, also for no word from God will ever fail. In other translation, that part, of the, that part is translated, nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. It's like he's saying, Mary, it feels impossible. What I'm saying is going to happen to you feels impossible. I've already done something impossible in your relative's life, though. Believe that I can do this in your life because nothing will be impossible for me. And so, friends, those of you who are sitting in these pews here in Westview Sanctuary, or if you're listening from wherever you're listening from, God's also saying that to us. What you're going through might feel impossible, but nothing is impossible for me. It sometimes feels impossible to live a single life. It's lonely, particularly during COVID. There is a lot of really despairingly lonely times. I have to make pretty much every major life decision on my own. I plan solo vacations while my married friends are going off on vacation together. When our culture, and yes, church, caters more to people who are married and holds that as the golden standard that you finally arrived when you're married, I quietly work through the feelings of failure and sometimes even shame. And I fight the lies that somehow I'm incomplete or a second-class citizen or that marriage will solve my problems because I'm not standing here and saying I know I know that if I get married there's other problems I know that I'm just saying this is where my struggle is right now this is where God has me right now and I don't know why that is but I've purposed in my heart to believe that he can be what I need that I can find fulfillment in God in my singleness And I have a lot to say on that, but I'm not going to get into that today, so maybe that'll be a sermon for another day. But what has gotten me here and what can get you here is to look at what God has done and what he will do, what he is doing in your life and in the world around you. He's working all the time. It's one of the reasons why I journal avidly, because it helps me when I go back to see how God has has worked. I can see that he's with me. I notice the identity and the promises that he's speaking over me. And it helps me to remember those promises and remember that identity as I go through life. You know, when I followed God to Japan, I didn't want to go. I I really didn't. And he used that time to show me where I was not believing him for something. And, And he worked that belief into me. I didn't believe that he was good. And it was an honest moment sitting on a bridge in Japan actually saying those words to him, I don't believe you're good, and the way that he took me on a journey for the rest of my time there to show me that he wasn't, in in fact, good. And I came back to Canada stronger in my faith. And when I wanted to stay in Japan and he brought me back to Canada, I ended up having these mind-blowing experiences that I wouldn't have gotten to do if I had stayed in Japan. And so again, he proved his faithfulness to me. And living in Vancouver for 10 years made me into the person that I am today and actually really prepared me to do ministry here in Quebec. And I'm so thankful for the people that I, that I know there and the things that I've learned from that time. And even in my singleness, 
in one of the deepest struggles of my life, I know that I'm blessed. I can't see it every day, but God is, a, is about forming us to be like Jesus. And I firmly believe that he's working that in my life. And so I don't, I don't know what you're going through, but I know God is working. And it might not feel like it, but he's, he's working. He might not do the thing that you're hoping. He might not bring me a husband. But friends, cling to the promise that Jesus made in John 5, 17. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. You know, I have a, a close friend who's going through something unexpected and intensely devastating. I sat with him a few weeks ago, and I listened to, to him unpack what was going on in his life. And let me tell you, friends, it's, it's unimaginable. And I can't go into details because I'll break down more than I already am. But here's what gets me the most. Well, well, my friend who's served God faithfully throughout his life and who's been there for me countless times is going through this thing. What comes out in what he's saying about his experiences is not bitterness, is not despair. He can see God's hand in his life. He can see where God is pouring mercy on him. He can, he can talk about where he sees God working, even in the midst of this horribly awful thing that's happening to him. And I pray that that's where you and I can get to. Maybe today will help. In our struggles, look for what he's doing because he's always working. And remember the identity and the promises that he's spoken over us. And when God asks the impossible, he gives us people to walk through it with us. After the angel delivered his message to Mary and, and went away, he leaves her and, and we read in, the, in verse 39, at that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, my baby in, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. You know, we don't, we don't know the state of mind that Mary was in at that time, at this point in the story. Maybe she's like full on believing God and the promises that he's spoken. And she's like, we're good. I'm just going to, to hang out with Elizabeth and celebrate what he's done in both of our lives. But I suspect maybe there were moments, at least moments, where her humanity snuck in a little bit and caused her to doubt, what is happening? Is this really happening to me? Am I really favored by God? <laughs> you know, she, she might have been going to hang out with Elizabeth because people in her community knew her and would certainly doubt her faithfulness to Joseph, her fiance. So maybe she had to go away for that reason. And then there's Elizabeth. She's experiencing her own miracle and she's celebrating that and she's living the glory of this dream that's come true. And Mary shows up with something that could potentially make her feel diminished in her happiness. She could have reacted bitterly. She could have been jealous. She could have turned Mary away. Sure, she got pregnant at a very old age, but Mary shows up pregnant with the Messiah that everyone's been waiting for for thousands of years. But that's not what she does. 
The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit's working in her life, and her reaction is totally different. She's overcome with joy, so much so that even the baby inside her is overcome with that joy. And she pronounces a blessing on Mary, and she speaks truth to her, and she reminds her that God has promised her amazing things. And so, friends, it's easy to be bitter when we see other people getting what we want. That time I pulled off the road and wept after that wedding was not my finest hour. I want to believe that it wasn't out of bitterness, but it probably was a little bit. It was painful to see someone else enjoy the thing that I had so long wanted and had waited for. But what helped me in that time was to have people who were walking alongside me, who knew my struggles, who knew my desires, and who knew what God had said to me, the identity that he'd spoken on me, the promises that he'd given me, people who were Elizabeth to me in my time of need. And so when we're struggling, we need to find people who can walk with us through that thing, people who are walking close with Jesus, who are living according to the Spirit, so that they can listen for us when we can't hear And so that they can see things that we can't see. So they can encourage us when we struggle to believe. And they can speak truth where we believe lies. And we can listen. They can listen where we need, when we need to talk. And they can pray with and for us. And they can just be with us when we need them to be. We're so forgetful about what God's done in our lives. And we need each other to remind us about what it is we've forgotten. But what he has done. So as you struggle and grieve, do you have those people in your life that can come alongside you and be Elizabeth to you? And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I'm not really struggling right now. Well, I think that means that you need to be an Elizabeth to someone else. So who is there in your life who needs you to to enter into a struggle with them? That's a beautiful thing about this church family, this community that God's given us. You know, we wouldn't maybe naturally all hang out together if it weren't for Jesus, because that's who he, we have in common. And it's the same with Mary. She was, a, she was a teenager, and Elizabeth was very old, and, you know, they were related, but they didn't get to see each other often, pretty probably, and, you know, they were a source of joy and comfort for each other. And this is one of the reasons why we've been doing community nights, so that we would know each other and hopefully hear stories and see friendships emerge so that we can walk with each other. So who can you comfort and encourage today? And who can bless you with the reminders of your identity and the promises that God's spoken and, um, when, you, when you can't hear them? So remember your identity and the promises that God has made. Look for what else he's doing. Surround yourself with people who can encourage you. And when God asks the impossible, worship him for who he is and how he works. Here's where we see Mary's heart posture to God unpacked a lot more. There's a lot of unknown going on in her life right now. But this is how she's able to submit to God and what he's doing in her life. She sings a worship song to him. She's heard the identity that he's spoken to her and the promises that he's given her. And she's seen what else he's doing. And she's been blessed and encouraged by Elizabeth. And now she's singing her heart out to God. Verse 46 starts telling us the the song. And so let's read that a little bit. My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 
So we're seeing Mary put all of these things into practice. She's, she's seeing her desperate need for God and, and how God hasn't forgotten her. He hasn't forgotten the promise of a savior that he's made to the entire world. And even though her life is now infinitely more complicated than it was a few days ago, she can rest in the fact that God has not forgotten her or his promises to her, that he is with her because he said so and he always keeps his promises. And so she honors him with her praise. She celebrates who he is and what he's done. She's believing his promise that she will move from obscurity, this life of just being an obscure teenager, to going down in history as the blessed mother of the Savior. She's rejoicing in her identity as one who is favored by God. She's remembering all of the things that he's done. Mary hasn't done anything to deserve the mercy that God has offered her, except she feared him which means that she, she lived towards him. She reacted to him with reverence and awe. So he extended that mercy to her. And that mer- same mercy, when we fear him, is extended to us as well. And that's another promise that we can cling to. Let's keep reading. Verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. God is powerful, and he's unpredictable. He performs these mighty deeds, and they're not always what we think they should be. Like I said before, what God was asking of Mary, what he was expecting her to do, seemed like foolishness to anyone else. But God doesn't act the way that I expect him to do. Pride tells, tells us that we got this, you know, like we, we don't need God, we can make it happen. Our ideas of what is best for us are the best ideas. We don't need him. And that's not true. We, when we're proud, he humbles us. Just like the Pharisees who thought that when the Messiah finally showed up, he was gonna go hang out with them because they were so holy and awesome. And God ended up, Jesus ended up going and hanging out with lowly fishermen and asking them to be his disciples. And then the people who were perceived as foolish and weak were the ones that were chosen to spread the gospel and Christianity around the world. And so that attitude doesn't get us anywhere. And the world tells us that to rule is best, to be elevated, to be wealthy, that's what we should want. That's the best way to go. So everyone pursue that. And these things aren't bad in and of themselves but they become bad when they turn our hearts away from God and make us self-sufficient and self-righteous and make us believe that we don't need him. And so the fact that God has brought down rulers and elevated the humble or filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty should bring us comfort. He tells me that I don't have to have it all together in order to receive from God in my singleness, or in any other struggle that I have in my life, I don't need to put on a brave face. And I don't need to strive to meet some standard because his mercy and his identity and his promises are poured out all through my life, even though I don't have it all together, even though I'm still struggling. He meets me and he gives me what I need, and it's the same for you. So friends, are are you tired? There's rest for you. Are you hungry? He will fill you with good things. They may not be what you want them to be. They may not be what I want them to be. 
but they're still good. Do you feel forgotten? He has not forgotten you. When the struggles of life threaten to overwhelm you, spend time worshiping God for who he is and what he's done. Mary's song promises us that God will encounter us in the ordinary and the mundane and even in the difficult activities of life. Worshiping God is a way to preach what we know to be true about God to ourselves and to others. Many of the songs that we sing, the hymns that we sing, were written by people who were going through terrible things in their lives, losing loved ones. And yet God chose, and yet they chose to worship God. So if you don't know where to start, begin with the cross, choose a song, and go from there. So I'm going to close with this last point. When God asks the impossible, he also gives hope. I'm very tempted to just want to rush through the struggle and be like, all right, let's get to the other side of this thing because, you know, time's, time's ticking and I got stuff to do. So, um, God, if you can just, like, remove all this stuff from me so that I can just be okay again, that'd be great. I don't want to stay too long in the discomfort. And I'm like, God, I get it. I'm good. I've learned the lesson. Yep, check. Okay, let's go. Um, but I've learned that the difficult times and experiences that I have is where I see God's grace the most. And that the hard thing can actually be the blessing. I came across a quote while I was preparing this week by Pastor Sharon Hottie Miller, and, and she writes, Pregnancy looms large in Luke 1, which contains not one but two birth narratives in it. Why? Because at Advent, God, considers us, uh, God invites us to consider whether the darkness that feels so much like a tomb might actually be a womb. What if God's going to burst something through what he's asking you and I to go through? What if there's blessing in the suffering? Friends, I know that there's real pain in this room. And I know, I know that my, my struggle with singleness might not even compare to what some people in this room have gone through. And I don't want us to, to leave here thinking, God is doing this to me. I don't know what specifically you're going through or why. But I do know that in the deep struggles that I've had in my life, when God has not answered my prayer to remove them from my life, that I still have my unchanging identity in him. And that he has made promises that he is going to keep. And that... There are people around me who love me and encourage me and walk through things with me. And that my worship of him helps me see the blessing in the pain and that nothing is impossible with God. No word from God will ever fail. And I pray that this gives you hope as well. So what I want to do right now is just spend a few moments in silence. We may or may not go to Q&A. Are we doing Q&A? No? <laughs> So we're going to spend, spend a few moments in silence, and, and I just want you to ponder this. Ask God to show you identity if that's not what you're hearing, and ask him to, to remind you of his promises, or to show you people who can walk with you through this thing, or who you need to walk through other things with. Or to, for him to give you a song in your heart of worship to him for all that he's done. Let's spend a little time reflecting on that and then I'll pray.
Father, thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you have given us an identity in you and promises that we can always trust. Thank you that you're unchanging. Father, I pray for everyone in this room who might be walking through something that they feel is impossible, that you would remind them of your presence with them, that you would provide people to walk with them through this thing, that you would enable them to feel your, your presence and your mercy and your, your joy that you have in them. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you for this reminder through the Christmas season of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Help us to cling to that today. Pray this in Jesus' name.